breaking down of the land, though this is really the end of that for the most part. Uh, stay tuned for next week or whenever, whenever the next time is. Uh, we have the exciting Cities of Refuge, which actually is a really exciting chapter, the picture of Christ that it is, and then the division of the land among the Levites. And then we're done with the division of the land. But as you're there, we're going to read primarily, the, our text is going to be uh, the first 10 verses of chapter 18, and then we're going to kind of go through uh, the other two chapters. But before we do, let me ask you this. Have you ever started a task before? and failed to complete it either to the end or properly. Anybody else ever done that before? You ever told your wife, you rest, I'll clean the kitchen, and you felt you did a good job, you conquered the giants of the stack of dishes with determination of spirit and fervor, you made that kitchen look much cleaner than it's ever looked before, uh, but Now I'm very uncomfortable. I, I, though I used this last time, but I, I usually also preach with an iPad. I've got papers, and so I've got this. I've got to flip pages. It'll be a mess tonight, but I'll turn this off just in case it pops back on, or uh, it won't. Where was I? The stack of dishes. My great job cleaning the kitchen. I told my wife, you rest. I'll clean the kitchen. I'll take care of it. No need to worry about it. And at the end of that task, I step back, and I look, and I say these words. Looks good enough right? And, that's, that, and that was my problem, wasn't it? And if you've done the same thing. However, she was expecting this level of cleanliness, and I thought this was good enough. Uh, that's kind of where we're at in Joshua 18. We've, we've seen them battle for years. They've uh, battled giants and walled cities. The lands began to be divided. Half of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben on the other side of Jordan, if you remember that. They'd already received their land. In chapter 15, Judah is the first to claim their lot of land. In chapter 16, uh, Ephraim uh, claims their land. In chapter 17, the other half of Manasseh claims their land on this side of Jordan. But there's seven tribes that we're going to see that, for whatever reason, have not yet received their inheritance. And so we're going to work through these chapters and uh, once for all see the dividing of the land through to the end. Uh, and, and as I said before, the only two things left are chapter 20, the uh, setting up of the cities of refuge, and chapter 21, establishing where the Levites would live. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump right into the, into the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the time of worship we had tonight and, Lord, this morning. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us now as we work through this text. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would give us exactly what it is we need. Lord, I don't know the need of each heart here today, but, Holy Spirit, you do. And I pray that you'd meet that need, whatever it is. And I pray that each of us would just determine right now that whatever your word says, however the Holy Spirit leads in our life, that we're simply going to follow and obey. And Lord, we know that you bless obedience. Lord, be with Pastor Jake and Sarah as they're away. I pray that you'd bless them, have a, that they'd have a good time away, and thank you for them. And Lord, bless this time together in your house, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Verse number one, we'll start there. Uh, and it says, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. So two crucial things take place here. You see at the end of the verse, it says the land was subdued before them. Uh, so really what that meant was that generally speaking, the battles were done. 
the major conflicts and conquering of Canaan had come to an end. Uh, there would continue to be struggle within and without, but the major war effort was complete. But then also significant, it says that they set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, there being Shiloh. And that is a significant place. Uh, d- during the time that uh, Ma- uh, Moses was on Mount Sinai, uh, God gave him the law, and among that was the instructions for the tabernacle, how to set that up, how to take it down, every piece of furniture that would take place there. Uh, they truly were the first mobile church. If you've heard of a church that uh, doesn't have a meeting place they have all the time, they break down take, uh, and, and do that all the time, that was the tabernacle. Uh, everywhere they went, they would have to disassemble it and reassemble it, and for 396 years, the uh, Shiloh was where the tabernacle would reside. And it was the brazen altar, the laver, the, uh, the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant. And it signified God's presence among the people. And it was the central place of worship. And it was among the land of Canaan, among Israel, it was central in its location so that everyone... Um, those obviously that were very close to it could get there much easier, but it, it was not a long distance for any one tribe. It was centrally located for all of the children of Israel to come to the tabernacle during the feasts. It remained there from the time of Joshua through the judges all the way to the time of Samuel. Uh, so it was an important place. But later on, this place, Shiloh, would be somewhat of a parable to God's people. Uh, years would pass, and uh, really it started with uh, Eli's sons and his permissiveness of their evil ways. And during the time of Samuel, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines, and eventually Shiloh no longer housed the tabernacle. It would kind of move around for a little while until one day Solomon would build his temple, and there was that permanent place. Uh, for God's uh, temple and for, God's, for the worship of God to be. And then if you fast forward even further, in Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah is warning God's people, and they have this confidence in them of this great temple that they have, that nothing can ever happen to it, nothing will uh, be able to take it away from them. And here's what God says to them. He says, But go ye now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it, For the wickedness of my people Israel. He's saying this, you're so confident of this place, but because of the wickedness of your fathers, because of the wickedness of of other generations, go see what happened to Shiloh. My presence isn't there anymore. Uh, My temple, my tabernacle isn't there anymore. And it's good for us to learn from the mistakes of those who've gone before us. And as you see, as as you see, as you go through the book of Judges, first and second Samuel, the Chronicles, the Kings, and uh, you'll, you'll find that the children of Israel very rarely learned from the mistakes of those who came before them. But it'd be wise for us to learn from their mistakes and the mistakes of those that have come before us. But then most important of this place, Shiloh, was not the place, was not this parable that would one day warn them, but it was the person that Shiloh represented. Genesis 49, Jacob, in blessing his children, said this of Judah. He said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. uh, Shiloh and the tabernacle, they were simply a shadow, a picture of something better to come, 
of something truly good to come. It all pointed to Jesus. Uh, we don't have time to get into it now, but if you look through the tabernacle, look through the temple, each of that piece of furniture, the way it was built, every single piece of it pointed to Jesus, who would one day be our final sacrifice. And then if you go to verses 2 and 3, we find there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? Uh, have you seen that trending video? My, my wife's probably rolling her eyes, the fact that I'm even bringing it I just saw it. Uh, the fact that I'm bringing it up. Um, the, the, there's videos on Instagram and Facebook that'll trend, and I'll find... Funny, I can watch them over and over and over, but usually for about a week or two, and then it gets old. There's a particular trend that for the, I actually looked back. It's been, it's been going five weeks strong that I find this trend just hilarious, but it's of a, a man that's asked, what are you doing? And perhaps you've seen it, and he says, me? Nothing. <laughs> Jason's seen it. <laughs> he says, nothing, and he just laughs, just hanging around. Um, and and it's, it, it literally makes me laugh every time I see it. But that's what I think of here. Joshua comes to the child, the, these seven tribes of Israel and basically says, what are you doing? And they just laugh and say, just hanging around. That's literally what they were doing. They had not yet taken their inheritance. He says, well, how long are you slack to go and to possess the land that, your fathers, that, that, that the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Uh, here's the picture that I get. Joshua is receiving his report, so to speak, perhaps, and uh, update on who's got what part of the land. And Judah is established. Ephraim is established. The other half of Manasseh is established. And now we've got Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan just hanging around, just for whatever reason, not possessing the land. He asked them, what is preventing you from, or, or why are you delaying from taking what God said you could have? I read this week that the IRS uh, announced in April that there is 1.5 billion, with a B, dollars of unclaimed tax refunds that belong to about 1.5 million Americans who didn't file their tax returns in 2019. This, uh, to this 1.5 million Americans, I ask you, how long are you slack to go possess the money that Uncle Sam owes you? And uh, just a quick public service announcement, if, that is one of, if, if you are one of those people, you have till July 17th to claim your money. Um, that I never understood. It's, it's not, I, I can understand people avoiding paying their taxes, but I don't understand the people avoiding getting money that either they already paid or credits or whatever. Uh, we're talking about claiming what God uh, has promised them. We're talking about claiming what they've already conquered and what already belongs to them. Uh, I was going to tell a joke about procrastination here, but I'll do it later. Um, and Steve, last week, or a couple weeks ago, Steve said something that, but, uh, like this, but it bears repeating. Never settle for less than what God has planned for you. And that's essentially what these seven tribes have done. They've settled for less than what God planned for them. For some reason, these seven tribes were, were content just hanging around, content just existing, willing to hang around, not claim and settle the land that God promised them. But here's an interesting thing about procrastination, about delaying to do what God has told you to do. It doesn't just affect you. 
think, well, I'll do it later. It's only going to affect me. Uh, but in reality, uh, w- w- there's a large group of people that this affected. If you remember, a couple weeks ago, I'd mentioned about uh, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. They were promised land on the other side of Jordan before they crossed over the Jordan, before the Battle of Jericho, before all this conflict took place. And Moses said, you can have that land, but you must promise you will not return home to your families until all of your brethren are settled into their homes. And I was trying to figure this out, and and, and I searched through, and um, in Joshua 22, so... That's after Joshua 18. Joshua, it says, Then Joshua called the children of Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, and he said, You fulfilled your promise. You guys can go home. So it was after this had taken place, after they settled here. But as they're delaying to take the land, we've got two and a half tribes of people that are thinking, We want to go home. We've fought, we've labored. Go take what God has given you. Go take what we've all fought for together. The land was subdued, and after seven years, they couldn't return home until uh, these these bums, so to speak, had uh, finally moved into the land. So your your delay to lay claim on God's promises and follow God's leading impacts more than just you. Look at verse number four. Here's the plan Joshua has. Give out from among you three men for each tribe. I will send them, and they shall rise and go through the land and describe it according to the inheritance of them, and they shall come again to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall abide in their coast on the south, and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coast on the north. You shall therefore describe the land into seven parts and bring the description hither to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priests of the Lord is their inheritance." And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. And the men arose and went away, and Joshua charged them that they describe the land, saying, Go and walk through the land, describe it. Come again to me, and I will cast lots for you before the Lord in Shiloh. And the men went and passed through the land, described it by cities and into seven parts in a book, and came again to Joshua at the host of Shiloh. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided unto the children of Israel according to their divisions. So basically, this is what Joshua said. Here's what we're going to do. Get 21 men, three from each of your tribes. You're going to go walk the land. Uh, You're going to map it out into seven portions, into seven territories. Come back, and then I'm going to cast lots for you, and wherever it falls, that's where you live. And so this method of casting lots is not something I necessarily suggest you incorporate into your daily life. Uh, for small things, it might not be a bad, a bad thing. Maybe you have an eight ball, something you can use. But, um, and essentially, that's what it was. It was sticks or stones or dice that were marked in some way. And there were several times throughout Scripture that this method to make a decision was used. On the Day of Atonement, they would do it to determine which goat was the scapegoat. Uh, They determined it uh, to uh, find the schedule uh, of service in the temple for the priests. You probably remember in Jonah, they drew lots, they drew straws and cast lots and determined that it was Jonah's fault for the storm. And even in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1, they cast lots to determine who Judas's replacement would be. Again, not something I'd recommend you do, but what it was seen as was, we're going to give this to God and we're going to let him lead, and here's how he's leading. 
Uh, we have scripture now. We don't need to cast lots. We don't need the, uh, the umim, and I forgot what the other one's name is. I, I can't remember. The two stones the high priest would have. Uh, we don't need that. We have God's word. But regardless, the principle is we need God to lead and to guide us in these decisions. And then in the rest of the chapters, we find each of the divisions, and I'm going to go through a couple of them real quickly. Uh, in, in, in chapter 18, verse 11, we find the division of Benjamin, uh, and we find that it was in the coast of Judah. And what's interesting about this, there's, there's three of the tribes that there's something a little more given than just the land. And this is the first one, Benjamin. Years later, many generations later, Israel will be divided into the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom would be called Judah, but really it consisted of Judah and Benjamin. And so we see that God knew ahead of time, as we know the whole scope of scripture, God knew ahead of time exactly where Benjamin needed to be, and they, they drew the first lot. Uh, Simeon was next. Uh, we find that in chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 9, and we find that they also were part of the children of Judah. And uh, what's interesting about uh, Simeon was it was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Jacob, again, when he was blessing his children, he actually cursed Simeon. He said this in Genesis 49, Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, thou, uh, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And that's exactly what happened and will continue to happen. Then we find Zebulun and Issachar and Asher and Naphtali. And if you're really interested in seeing where exactly their lands were, go ahead and read those. It is a very, very interesting read. Um, seeing their, they have this wall and this wall and this side and that side. And you can see where they all went. And then Dan in, uh, in chapter 19, verses 40 to 48. Uh, verse 47, it says, The coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them. And it's generally agreed by scholars and commentators about this verse. Uh, that it's describing that somehow, at some point, the children of Dan lost possession of their land. And then if you look at Judge, compare it to Judges 18, they lost their land and they went and conquered more land. Uh, so finally, they're all in their place. Everyone has their land. The proverbial kitchen has gotten cleaned up, this time the right way, all the way. So what do we take away from this? In the remaining time we have left, I want to give you three thoughts. Three thoughts that I hope uh, will be a, a help to you tonight. The first one is this. How do we get from just being almost there to accomplishing what God has called for us to do and, and, and claiming the promises that he has given to us? Number one is this. Keep Jesus central. Keep Jesus central. Just as the children of Israel set up the tabernacle in Shiloh as a central location for all the people to have access to God's presence, we need to set up Jesus as supreme in our hearts the center of our being. If we're going to go from almost there to job well done, we need to keep Jesus at the center and the forefront of our lives. But seek ye first, Matthew chapter 6, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Colossians 1, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. If you then be risen with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set not your affection on things above, but on things on the earth. And Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Aren't you thankful to be a part of the church age where we no longer have to travel a long distance in, to, to tabernacles and temples made by man and make sacrifices. The sacrifice has been complete. Uh, but rather, we are the temple of the living God. Uh, the, and almost there, Christian, will make Sunday worship a priority. And clearly, you have today. But how many of us understand that being in church on Sunday doesn't necessarily mean that Christ is at the center of your life? He may be at the center of your Sunday, but there's a lot of believers who have Jesus at the center of their Sunday, but he's at the back of the line on Monday through Saturday. And that ought not be in our lives. He needs to have preeminence, as Colossians said. Preeminence means first place in every place. He needs to have first place in your mind, first place in your words, first place in your marriage, first place in your parenting, in your career, in your decisions, in your worship, first place in every place of every part of your life. Keep Jesus at the center of everything that you do. Number one, if we're going to get there all the way, get to what God has called for us to do, we need to keep Jesus central. But number two, we need to conquer apathy. We need to conquer apathy. Newton's first law of motion states this, an object at rest will remain at rest, and an object in motion will continue in motion with a constant velocity unless acted upon by an external force. This is known as the law of inertia. Essentially what that means is if I had a ball here and I threw a ball to the back of the room, it, by Newton's law, should continue in a straight line at a constant velocity uh, indefinitely, unless acted upon by some outside force. In this case, it would take gravity, would pull it down, and then eventually it would roll for a while, and friction would keep it from going any further to eventually the inertia would overcome it, and it would be at rest. And that same principle applies in our lives. As we make progress for God, as we make progress in any area of our lives, there's going to be that law of inertia, the outside forces, discouragement, sorrow, opposition, or just plain exhaustion. And that list could go on and on of things that uh, move against us to get us to eventually come to rest. And we will find ourselves, if we're not careful, instead of making progress, we're content, we're okay with just being still. We're okay with not going any further, content with where we're at, and we become apathetic. And the truth is that then, as the law states, that object at rest is going to remain at rest unless acted upon by some outside force. We will need an outside force, an external force, to get us moving again. And what we often need is a Joshua to say, why, why do you slack to do this? We'll need a Paul who in his epistles will say to some of the churches, why are you doing what you're doing? We'll need a pastor, a parent, a friend, an accountability partner, someone to shake us out of our apathy and to get us moving forward again. And we need to fight daily ourselves against that inertia, bring us down and keeping us from moving forward and make progress in what God has called us. 
Hebrews 6.12, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Revelation 3.15 says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. This is the picture of an apathetic church. But he said, I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Uh, have, have you ever um, gotten a, what you thought was going to be a hot cup of coffee and realized it's been sitting in the carafe for, since Sunday? Um, and you're coming on Wednesday thinking, wow, let's see if this is hot. You take it, ooh, that's lukewarm. Uh, when you're expecting hot coffee, lukewarm coffee just is not going to cut it. Um, that's what God's describing here. He said you're lukewarm. He said, I'm just going to spit you out. You're apathetic. Uh, whatsoever you do, Colossians 3.23, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. And one of the greatest verses, I think, on uh, pressing forward and not, being, not living an apathetic life was uh, Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He said, I've not reached the peak yet. But I press, uh, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So if we're going to get all the way there, we need to keep Jesus central. We need to conquer apathy. And then last tonight, we need to comply with God's leading. Comply with God's leading. 1 John 5.3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. Uh, there's often a hesitation to follow God's command, to follow God's leading, uh, for I, I think a couple of reasons. I'm sure that we, we could probably go into a long list of reasons of why we hesitate to obey God. Uh, but the first, I think, is that sometimes we hesitate because we feel like he's going to ask us to do something that we don't want to do. But the truth is, as that verse I just read, his commandments aren't grievous, that means anything he asks us to do is going to be good for us. He's never going to ask us to do something that will not be a positive thing for us, that will not be helpful to us. It might hurt. It might not seem helpful. It might seem bitter in the moment, but it's always for our good. Or we think he's going to ask us to do something difficult. Following God, I, I remember t talking with one of my children about this. I, I told them, obeying God is always simple. I say, no, it isn't. And, and I, I often use Abraham as an example. What did God tell Abraham to do? Leave your home and go somewhere that I'll tell you later. The instructions are simple, but there's a difference between simple and easy. I think we can all agree with that. Following God is simple, but following God is not always easy. After all, what are the requirements to be a disciple? Take up your cross and follow me. That's not a walk in the park. It's simple, but not easy. But when it's difficult, when God leads us to do something that's difficult, we can claim the promises of Philippians 4.13 and Philippians 2.13. I can do all things through Christ, and it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Often Philippians 4.13 is used in whatever I put my mind to, I can do all things through Christ. But the context of it, uh, and, and, and really the, the principle of it is, I can do anything God wants me to do through Christ which strengtheneth me. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. 
Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. There's no step of faith that we can't take, no giant that we can't conquer, no promise that we can't claim when we simply keep Christ central, conquer apathy, and comply with God's leading. At the end of chapter 19, something very interesting happens. We find the last piece of land that's distributed. And it goes to none other than Joshua. The first piece of land that we see distributed to an individual went to Caleb. Two people that kept God central, that conquered apathy, and who complied with God's leading no matter what. God blessed them greatly. And those of the children of Israel who continue to follow him, God blessed. And those of us today, today who continue to follow him in obedience, God blesses. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an almost there Christian. I don't want to be the Christian that when Christ comes for his church, he looks at me and says, what are you doing? And we say, nothing, just hanging around. You need to be busy for him. Here's my challenge for you tonight, and we'll be done. Examine your life and ask yourself what Joshua asked these seven tribes. How long are you slack to go fill in the blank? How long are you slack to go take that step of faith? How long are you slack to go share the gospel with that person? How long are you slack to go restore that relationship? How long are you slack to go confess and forsake that sin? How long are you slack to go serve or give in the way that God is leading you? Pastor Jake says that all the time, but we're either moving forward or we're moving backwards. And the truth is, using that law of inertia, really we're either pushing ourselves forward or we let go and we find ourselves slowly, the Bible word is backslide, isn't it? Slide backwards and backwards and slowly but surely and eventually over time we look back and say, how did I get here? How did I end up back here again? What push in the right direction do you need? What step forward do you need to take tonight? James 4 says this, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow We'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's but a vapor that appeareth for a little while and vanisheth away. For for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Just make the decision today. Sometimes you say, "I'll, I'll do it later. I'll procrastinate. God's leading me to do this, but I'll do that next week. No, just decide. My life's but a vapor I may not have next week. I'm going to do it today. Heads about and eyes closed tonight and give you an opportunity to talk to God about what he talked to you about. As Matt plays through that song, I couldn't help but just think of a couple things as your head's bowed, your eyes closed.